Hello. You know, when we normally come over from Wheelie Castle, we usually struggle to park. And today we drove onto the car park and it's like empty. And I'm like, I knew this, this announcement had been made last week. And I was a bit worried that you thought, oh, we're not going this morning if she's speaking. <laughs> Actually, um, Wendy tells me it's all the rich students with, with all their cars that have all gone home. I'm like, gosh, they're different life these days to when I was a student. But, but yeah, it's really good to be here. And we really have appreciated the support of Sully Oak. Um, when we came two years ago, it was not our intention to um, become independent again, but it just had been the leading of God over the last couple of years. And we have grown. I mean, we had a lot of people in this morning and more new visitors. And you would be like, have I seen you before? Have you been before? And you know, oh, struggling with names and now and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And our kids, you know, last some, when we first started two, two Septembers ago, we had two children and we started Sunday school with two children. And last September we had four, and now we have about 90, and I've lost count, which is amazing. It's giving us other issues, but they're good issues, like where to put them all. But um, it's been really great, and it feels, does feel like it's been a godly step to take, risk a step of faith, but that's what we do. And I just want to appreciate Phil and Wendy and the elders particularly for really going with us on that, what we feel that God was saying. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you again anyway and I know one or two are going to still come over and preach for us so that's nice but it's good to be here this morning um, and I would like to at Wheelie Castle we've been looking at the life of Joseph a little bit and uh, this is kind of the third one of a series but uh, hopefully I can make it feel like just a one-off for you guys so I want you to have a think this morning what is God's greatest desire I wonder if you've ever thought about that maybe you have an idea maybe you you might want to guess, what, what does God desire the most? What, what does God want? And you know, from the scripture, we can see a God whose greatest desire is for relationship. You see, he could have just created mankind and gone, well, there you go, made you now, have a nice time, bye, and just left them to sort of get on with it. But he didn't, he wanted to be with them. And in John 17, 24, Jesus is praying for his disciples and also for people who are going to know him in the future. And he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He said, I want them to be with me. I want them to be where I am. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's called you into fellowship. He doesn't want to just leave you on your own. He wants that relationship. He doesn't like loneliness. When he created Adam, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And in Psalm 68, 6, we read, God sets the lonely in families. Now, in this room, there will be those of you who would consider themselves extroverts, You love being with people. People energize you. If you sit up in the evening talking to people, when you go to bed, you can't switch your mind off because you're you're full of energy because you've been with people. And then there'll be those of you who are introverts and you're like, 
I've spent the whole night with people. I just need to go to sleep now. And of course, there'll be those of you who are somewhere in between the two. I'm more on the extrovert side. And I remember when our children were little, we had three small children. And there were times, I'll be honest, when I was getting to the end of my rag with three children. I'm not the most patient person. And it was harder than I thought it was going to be before I had them. And so Alistair, my husband, might say, oh, I'll take them out for a bit. And you're like, yes. So you parcel them all into the car and off they'd go. And I'm like, peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surround. No, we didn't know that song back then. But it was peace and it was quiet and I'm on my own and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And then 10 minutes would go by and I'd be like, I wonder when they're coming back. Because I'm more extrovert and I like to be around people. But, you know, whether you're introvert or whether you're extrovert, it's still no one wants to be lonely. You may like your alone time, but you don't want to be alone. And if God's greatest desire is relationship, we know that there is a problem because God wanted us to want to be in relationship with him of our own will he wants he's given us that free will and of course we decided not to and relationships as we know break down and they can cause us problems and we've at Wheelie Castle been digging into the story of Joseph found right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and Joseph is born into a family he's the favorite son of his dad Jacob now Jacob had two wives and they were sisters And Jacob really liked the younger one, who was the beautiful one, called Rachel. Just leave that. I'm only quoting what the scripture says. And the older one was called Leah. And Jacob likes Rachel, but it's their tradition that they, they only marry off the older daughter first. Has to go in age. And so Jacob is deceived into marrying Leah and then he has to marry Rachel at a later date. So he's got these two wives and Leah begins to give Jacob sons, but Rachel struggled. And eventually Rachel gives birth to Joseph. And because Rachel was the favorite wife, Joseph became the favorite son. Jacob gives Joseph a beautiful coat, which really helped Andrew Lloyd Webber make a shed load of money. <laughs> But what that coat indicated was that he saw Joseph as the son who would follow after the father. He would be the one with the inheritance, despite the fact that he had loads of half-brothers who were older than him. All of this behavior set Joseph up to be intensely disliked by his half-brothers. Joseph didn't help because one day he has a dream, and he dreams about all these sheaves of corn bowing down to his sheaf. And then he dreams about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And he knows that those things that are bowing down, the sheaves and the sun, moon and the stars, represent his family. Now, he could have kept that dream to himself. Wisdom might suggest that would have been a good idea, but Joseph didn't. He went, guess what, boys? I've had a dream. You're all going to go and bow down to me. Isn't that good? And they were not very happy about it, surprisingly. What happens in a relationship we have with someone and they wind us up? What do we do when we're in a relationship and that person winds us up? We might decide to move away. We might decide to get rid of them out of our lives. And that's what the brothers did. They dispatched Joseph to a caravan of merchants 
who took him to Egypt and sold him as a slave. This then gave them a problem because Jacob had said, go and see your brothers and what they're going to do now. You see, you can't just dispatch somebody out of your life and everything just carries on as if nothing happened. So the first thing they have to do is they have to take the beautiful robe and they have to rip it to shreds and dip it in goat's blood. So they've killed a goat as well. They dip it in goat's blood. They didn't have DNA testing. No one was going to know. And they take it back to Jacob and they go, look what we found. And of course, Jacob is distraught and he thinks Joseph has been ripped apart by a wild animal. So what was one of the results of this breakdown in relationship? Did Joseph, the annoying little brother, just leave them and they were just fine and got on with their lives? No, it always leaves stuff behind. Just really, really quickly, I'm sure most people here know the story, but just in case you don't, Joseph goes down to Egypt. He gets bought by a, a guy called Potiphar. He works in Potiphar's household. He does a good job and Potiphar brings him on to be like a manager and to work for him. And it's all going really, really well until Potiphar's wife takes a look at Joseph and gets the hots for him and starts sort of saying, Joseph, we could go and have a good time. And Joseph is very good. He says, no, no, no. And then one day she grabs his coat and screams rape. And before he knows where he is, Joseph is in prison. But again, he's a good prisoner And he gets elevated to be in charge of some of the other prisoners. And one day there's two guys in the prison, a butler and a baker. And they used to work for Pharaoh, but they've ended up in prison. And they have a dream, a dream each. And through, you know, Joseph's connection to God, he's able to interpret the dreams. And the interpretation of the dreams comes true. And for the butler, this interpretation is you're going to go back and work for Pharaoh. And it comes true, and they come to collect the butler, and Joseph says, don't forget me, will you? Can you try and help me to get out of here, because I don't really want to be in this prison anymore. And the butler goes, got you, Joseph, don't worry about it, I've got you back. So he goes back, he starts to work for Pharaoh, and forgets all about Joseph. Who's Joseph? And two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And he can't interpret it. And he goes to his people and says, I need someone to interpret this dream. And no one can. And suddenly the butler goes, hang on a minute. When I was in prison, there was this bloke called Joseph. He interpreted my dream and it came true. So Joseph is hauled in front of Pharaoh now. So he's like the top dog in in the land. He's hauled in front of him. And he interprets this dream of Pharaoh's. And basically what the dream means is there's going to be seven years of abundant harvest followed by seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh can see the spirit of God in Joseph. He puts him in charge of the food distribution program. And so Joseph has seven years to, yes, feed Egypt, but also gather food together that will get them through the following seven years. And of course, the famine affects more than just Egypt. It's the surrounding areas. So Jacob and the family, the boys left behind, they start to struggle too. And in the end, Jacob sends his boys down to Egypt to get food. And when he gets there, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so Joseph wants to test them starts asking about the family, asks about his brother because there's another brother, Benjamin, who is Joseph's full brother, his younger. 
And so Joseph says, guys, if you want more food, you've got to bring Benjamin with you. I want to see Benjamin. And so the boys return to their father. And remember, what is left behind when a relationship breaks down? This is what Jacob says when the brothers say we need to take Benjamin. Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. This is well over 20 years from when Joseph was taken. But what is the first thought of Joseph when they talk about taking Benjamin? His brother is dead. You see, the breakdown of this relationship has brought about ongoing lifelong grief and sorrow. What else is the breakdown of this relationship left behind? Joseph continues to test his brothers when they come to him for food. And I'm going to read quite a long section of the story. Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Remember the dream? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he said. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. They replied, your, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and the one is no more. That's what they thought. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, your spies, and this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. Then he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you'll live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your younger brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. But this is key. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. So again, here we are 20 years later after they got rid of Joseph and they're still suffering from guilt and from shame over what they did. So the breakdown of this relationship has not only brought ongoing grief, but it's also brought about ongoing shame and ongoing guilt. I guess that's not much difference when we suffer relationship breakdown. And when I say this, I'm not just talking about marriage, I'm talking about any relationship. We may not suffer those specific things in the same way, but whenever we have a relationship breakdown, there's always something left behind. Those things are usually ongoing, long-term, and they're usually not very nice. So what can we do? You know, when Joseph saw his brothers... 
He had a couple of options, really. He could have gone, if they think they're having grain from me, they've got another thing coming after what they did to me. He could have banished them, don't even let them in, I don't even want to see them. Equally, he could have gone, guys, brothers, haven't seen you for years, how are you, big hug. But he didn't do either of those things. Instead, he took his time to check out the situation. They'd sold him into slavery. They'd made out to his father. He'd been ripped apart by animals. He had every right to be angry and send them away to starve. Would that have been the best outcome? You see, Joseph has the power in this relationship now. The last time he'd seen the brothers, he didn't have the power. They had the power. He was in a pit waiting to be sold. But now there's been a switch And that's an important point to make. You see, sometimes when relationships break down, we don't have the power to do anything about it. Maybe the relationship was abusive. Often one party will hold the power. But over time, that power can change hands. Maybe now you have the power to change things or to decide what you should do. Joseph had a choice to banish them or think about reconciliation. As he didn't dive in and banish them, he didn't immediately embrace them either. And if we've suffered a relationship breakdown, giving the other person a big hug and sweeping all the issues under the carpet may not be the wise thing to do either. You know, Romans twelve seventeen to 19, Paul says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, encourages us and don't repay evil for evil. Why? Because if we repay evil for evil, and then they repay evil for evil, and then we repay evil for evil again. And they, you can see where it ends, can't you? It's just loads of evil and more and more evil. If we don't repay evil for evil, then evil stops there. The chain is broken and God promises to sort out any vengeance. But Paul does say, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. You see, reconciliation is a two-sided process. It's a two-sided thing. Forgiveness is one-sided. And I just want to illustrate this with a a little story. Um, Many, many years ago, I worked somewhere, and um, there was a particular person in the department where I worked who, they were a really nice person, really cheery and joyful kind of person, and everybody thought they were great, and they got on with everybody. But for some reason, they didn't seem to like me. Some of you are thinking... I can see why that would be. (laughs) Others might think, what, that's weird. I like you if you thought that. But nobody could quite... Nobody could quite understand it. There were meetings with me and this other person. There were meetings. The boss would sit there and try and... We'd discuss a few things, but it was as if we just never kind of got to the heart of the issue. And eventually, it was getting to the point, I was saying to to my line manager, look, it's just going to be them or me because I can't keep coming to work thinking, what's going to be the issue this week? It was stressing me out. And 
But shortly after that happened, this person resigned and left the place where we were working. And I'll be honest, I did breathe quite a sigh of relief. But sometime later, I'm in Tesco's and I just get to the end of the aisle where the toilet rolls are and I'm coming round, pushing my trolley and I come into the aisle and you know where it's going, don't you? This person is pushing their trolley up the aisle in the opposite direction. And it's too, you know, it's as if I had a microsecond to hide back behind the toilet rolls. But I didn't. They'd seen me. And you know what happens in those situations, don't you? Your heart starts bouncing and your stomach starts churning and you're like, oh no, I'm going to sit, what am I going to do? And we're getting nearer and they're coming towards me and I'm going this way and oh no. And eventually, of course, the trolleys pass and there's a quick, you're right, you're right, yeah. And we carry on. And I'm thinking, they're coming this way, I'm going that way. There's at least 16 more aisles in this huge Tesco's. How many times is this situation going to happen in the next half an hour? And to be honest, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but what I knew when I came home, I thought, I've got to forgive that person. I've got to forgive. But how do you get rid of those feelings? And you can decide in your head, okay, God, I've forgiven them. I'm going to try really hard and I've forgiven them. But how do you get rid of those, those feelings? And I was praying. I said, God, please will you give me a key? And not long after, I was out for a walk with a, a friend, and this person knew this other person. And it happened to be talking about all sorts of things. And suddenly it came up for some reason. This person was having a birthday, and it was a special one with a zero on the end. And I felt as we walked away from that conversation, almost like the Spirit of God say to me, send them a birthday card. And I'm like... They are not going to want a birthday card from me. I don't care how special the birthday is, God. They are not going to want a birthday. Why would they want a birthday card from me? And you know when you sort of chunter away and it's almost like God's standing there going, I just said send them a birthday card. I'll wait for you. And eventually I'm like, okay. So I went to the shop and I bought a birthday card with a zero on the end and wrote it and hope you have a nice birthday and all the rest of it. Posted it. And... As I had put the address on the stamp and I went to the post box and as I put the letter in the post box I just felt something give inside and I just knew I'd forgiven them. But you know, forgiveness was about me. Really. You see, they say unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I could have said, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But forgiveness isn't about them. It's about freedom for you. But that's forgiveness, not reconciliation. You see, in that relationship with that person, I've forgiven them. If I see them again, and I have bumped into them since, you know, I think it was Sainsbury's on the next occasion. But, you know... It's fine, I can go, oh, hi, how are you? How's the family and all of this kind of... It's, it's fine because I've forgiven them. I don't have the feelings anymore. They've gone. But if we were to decide on reconciliation, we'd still have to sit down and say, okay, what were the real issues? We can't just sweep it under the carpet if we want to build a relationship. And that would only happen depending on both of us wanting to commit to that. Because the Bible says as far as it depends on you. And Joseph doesn't rush into reconciliation. 
He's obviously done some kind of forgiveness, otherwise he would have just shut the door and said, go home to starve. But he doesn't rush into reconciliation. He checks things out first. You see, if you've had an abusive relationship, forgiveness, if you can come to that point of forgiveness, I'm not saying it's easy, forgiveness is good for you because it takes the, the hook out of your cheek. It makes it, It's good for you. But reconciliation probably isn't unless that other person has a big encounter with God and is changed because it's about what's possible depending on you. And so Joseph tests his brothers. Are they telling the truth? Have their characters really changed? When they return home with food, Joseph arranges for the money that they've just bought to buy the food to be put back into their sacks. Would they own up or would they just keep the money? When they returned, they did own up to having found their money returned. When Joseph asked them to return with Benjamin, what would their reactions be? Would they care about their dad, who is still grieving over, over Joseph? Or would they just think, well, we're starving, so if he's the cost, pff, come on, Benjamin, we're taking him. Did they care about his dad? Did they care about Benjamin? What was their reaction going to be? They could have just gone, well, we're starving, and if it costs us the life of another brother, well, hey-ho. But they didn't. In their responses, they showed great care for their dad's position. In fact, they offered their own lives in place of Benjamin's. Joseph's seeing a change in their behavior. Joseph also sees the hand of God in his life, the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which meant he was able to put the food distribution program into place. And once Joseph can see that his brothers are not the same as they once were, he's able to welcome them back into his life on his own terms. Forgiveness has happened, but in this scenario, reconciliation can also take place. And in Genesis 45, we read this. When Joseph could control himself no longer before all his attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. See how the power has changed hands. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow, what a thing to say to a group of people who've sold you into slavery. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry. It was to save lives God sent me ahead of you. God has worked this all out to a good conclusion. Maybe you have a broken relationship in your life. Perhaps you can recognize some ongoing things that are there because of it. And you might think they're not very pleasant things really. Perhaps the other person once held power over you, but now you have the power to choose what you can do. Is it time to forgive? Maybe they don't deserve it, but remember, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. And God can help you. Ask him to show you a key. And if God puts a thought in your mind, go with it. Do what he tells you to do, because freedom is a wonderful thing. 
You know, I have in the past used an illustration here and I haven't done it today because it's very messy and smelly. Um, but it's a bit like if you get an onion. Sometimes when you've had a really big hurt in your life, you know, when you peel an onion, you get all the brown stuff off. And then you can peel a layer off, can't you? But there's a layer underneath. And you can peel another layer off and there's a layer underneath. And depending how big your onion is, there might be several layers. But eventually, if you keep peeling, you get to the middle. You can understand, can't you, why I haven't actually physically done that. Um, but I have done in the past, but it was, it was smelly and I was tears and all sorts. So <laughs> it's a good illustration, actually, because it makes you cry. But forgiveness sometimes can be a multi-layered thing and we have to work through it one layer at a time and it can be difficult. But, you know, I believe God wants to set us free. God wants to set you free. Maybe you can move a step beyond that and move towards reconciliation. Perhaps you recognize time's moved on. You can see the other person has changed and maybe they want reconciliation too. Maybe you even recognize that there was, you had some responsibility in the relationship breakdown as well. When I began, I was talking about what is God's desire, his desire for relationship. And of course, the greatest relationship we can have as human beings is a relationship with our heavenly 100% good and perfect Father. The problem, of course, is that that relationship is broken. It was human beings that broke it right back in the Garden of Eden, listening to a snake rather than listening to the voice of God. Before they made that mistake, they had relationship. They walked with God in the garden. You can't imagine that. Can you actually walking around and there's God and you're having a conversation? But after they made the mistake, the Bible said that God comes looking for them in the garden and they hide. Why do they hide? Because relationship breakdown always leaves bad things behind and suddenly they experienced an emotion they'd never had before and the emotion was shame, hence they hid. Some people will avoid the issue and say, well, it was ancient human beings' fault, wasn't it? It was their fault, it was Eve's fault or whoever's fault. Or, well, is the account in Genesis meant to be taken literally or not? But actually we forget, we do exactly the same. God gives us guidance for life and yet how often do we decide to go off on our own way? Proverbs 14:12 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Matthew 17:13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And when we mess up, what emotions do we feel? When relationships break down, what do we feel? Ongoing grief, ongoing guilt, and ongoing shame, just like Joseph's family. We might be 21st century modern human beings, but some things don't change, do they? The good news is this. I'm on the last page. No, that's not the good news. <laughs> God is not only ready to forgive, but he's also ready to reconcile, having made that possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. Because you see, in a way, the story of Joseph echoes a future story of Jesus Christ. God promised that through one family the whole world would be blessed. He made a covenant with his family. It began with Abraham and it passed on to his son Isaac and then it passes on to Jacob. But when we get to the generation of Jacob, the family has changed. There's a famine due 
which has the possibility of killing them all off. In a way, it was through the sacrifice of Joseph being sent into slavery that God was able to save this family, which would eventually, when you look at the genealogy, see the birth of Jesus Christ on the earth. And in the same way, Jesus, through his sacrifice, releases us from our slavery to sin and enables us to come back into a relationship with the living God. And this is God's greatest desire for you. And there are so many scriptures that speak of God's forgiveness. We could be here till well after lunch, but here are a few. Psalm 103 verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heaven above the earth. He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that's infinitely far. Because if you go east, you never go west. You keep going east forever. If you go west, you'll always go west You never come to the end of that. That's how far our sin has been removed. That's how big God's forgiveness is. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That's not just a little bit of forgiveness of like, oh, okay, have another bit. The riches of God's grace It's God's grace working through Joseph that enabled him to forgive his brothers. But God doesn't stop just with forgiveness. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you like, I could say, God has given me this message of reconciliation, and I'm Christ's ambassadors. I'm standing here representing Jesus this morning, and God is making his appeal through me and saying, Be reconciled to God. Come back into relationship with him because God's greatest desire for you is relationship. He's made the way open. Have you walked through it? How can we respond this morning? Firstly, if you've never walked through into that relationship with God. If you've never been reconciled to him, you can be. You can be. You can talk to him like you talk to your neighbor or your best friend. You can confess your sin to him and ask him for his forgiveness and he will reconcile you to himself. He will open up that relationship with you. I would imagine today probably that everybody here would have already done that. But if you haven't, please do come and talk to us after and we'll tell you more about it. But for all of us here, there's a chance that somebody's sitting there and thinking, yeah, I've got a broken relationship in my life. Have you forgiven that person? 
Do you need to forgive? This is 100%. Because forgiveness, remember, is about you, your relationship with God, your freedom and your personal peace. It's not about the other person. Is this something you need to forgive? And you may say, well, I've tried before and it's really, really hard and it can be. Think of the onion. Maybe there's another layer to come off. But do, do ask God for the key to it. Is reconciliation possible? It's got to be a two-sided thing. But as far as it's possible for you, live in peace with all men. Let's pray as we close. Jesus, we thank you for coming to earth with this message of forgiveness and reconciliation. We thank you, God, that your greatest desire is to have a relationship with each one of us. You didn't just create us and then leave us to get on with our own thing, but you wanted a relationship. You want to walk with us. You want to be where we are. And we are so grateful. We are so grateful, Jesus, for your sacrifice that cost you everything but open the way up for us to be reconciled to God. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never experienced that reconciliation with you, that you will really work by your Holy Spirit on their lives and bring them into reconciliation with yourself. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room who is saying, you know what, God, there's a relationship in my life that needs sorting out. Or somebody hurt me and I need to forgive them. Maybe reconciliation, maybe just forgiveness, but I need to do that. Father, I pray that you will give people keys, that you will speak to them by your spirit. Give them keys to unlock that, Father. I pray that you will help us as your people to walk in freedom, freedom of forgiveness with other people. May we never repay evil for evil, but may we leave vengeance to you. And so, God, I pray for anyone who needs to offer forgiveness to another, that they will do that. And you will bring them into freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're just going to sing a new song in response to that. So feel free to stand up and sing or you can sit and meditate. Whatever you feel um, is what you need. <laughs>